After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast, brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is all about taking what we learned last week about e-scouting and really getting down into the nitty-gritty details to figure out where bucks should be on your chosen deer ground. The fun part of e-scouting is just the promise of new spots. It's like a little treasure hunt that might show you something you've been missing or show you spots on a distant parcel of public land that should be killer ambush locations for a rut hunt. But you've got to know how to read the land and really understand what you're seeing to use e-scouting in a really effective way. That's what this show is all about. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. If you listened to the last two weeks of episodes, you heard me just beg and plead for you to develop not only a love of all scouting, but to consider how big picture e-scouting can really set you up for better hunts. On this episode, we're going to take e-scouting to a more enjoyable level because once you've developed an overall understanding of how the features of your deer ground tie together via satellite imagery, you're going to want to fire up your scouting app and get real, real comfortable with the waypoints feature. Or more specifically, I'm going to cover where you really want to plant your digital flag versus the stuff you're better off ignoring and how to do this in a way that will eventually let you pare down your research to spots worth scouting in person or if necessary, just showing up blind to hunt. And waypoints, which started out in the world of GPS so that when you left your truck or your camp, you wouldn't die, are not commonplace on all mapping apps. On some, like OnX, you can choose all kinds of symbols that represent just about everything you're likely to encounter in the act of deer scouting and deer hunting because it was developed for hunters. Other broader use mapping apps aren't as user-friendly for hunting specific scouting, so pay attention to what platform you choose. And at this stage, what I like to do when I've narrowed down a property I know I'm going to hunt is to scroll over it and mark every interesting location. In fishing, there's a saying that goes, hook sets are free which is a subtle way to insult someone who thought they might have had a bite, but didn't swing on it because of indecision. In the same vein, waypoints are free to the digital scouter. You aren't going to run out of them, and no one is going to cap you at a certain amount. 
This is go nuts for donuts time. And with all of those waypoints locked, loaded, and ready to be dropped, it's time to just start with the easy stuff. Get on your app and zoom across the land you plan to hunt. Zoom into the back corners of fields. Look at the water hole tucked into a ridge line. Look at the no-question deer funnel that connects two woodlots. Drop a waypoint. Make a few notes if necessary and move on. The goal is to mark everything that might signify a potential hunting spot. Forget about the details like prevailing wind direction, access, and all that other stuff. That's white noise right now. Treat it like you're an eight-year-old and you've got a toy store catalog in your lap and are tasked with making your Christmas wish list for your very, very, very wealthy parents. Shoot for the moon here, even if you might settle for hitting the barn. Do this whether you hunt on private ground or public land. Do this whether you plan to hunt a specific property on opening week in September or during the rut in November. Just go big here because what you want to do is create a visual representation of your whitetail ambush site wish list. You'll want to look at your scouting app and laugh because it's nearly filled up with waypoints. I did this when I knew I was going to draw my non-resident Iowa tag last fall. For six months, I scrolled over thousands of acres of public land in my zone, and I just dropped waypoint after waypoint on any terrain feature, on food sources, on water sources. Anything that picked my interest got a pin on it. And just for shits and giggles, I counted my waypoints to see how many I ended up with, and in total, it was just over 60 spread out across about eight different parcels. Now, even if I lived in Iowa and I had loads of free time, both of which aren't true, I couldn't have hunted all of those spots in one season. What's worse is that I knew that I'd go through a pretty harsh culling phase as the October 1 opener drew near. Most of those waypoints would eventually get deemed not good enough, and I knew I would delete them. And as sad as that is, it's necessary, and it doesn't negate the crazy phase of dropping your wishlist waypoints. That step is important because you're just looking for a little bit of everything that might be worth hunting. You've developed a picture of all the spots that might be worthwhile without going through them individually to parse out the good stuff from the spots that just don't have the right access or won't play into the timing of your hunt. If this seems clear as mud, let me grab a big old stick and stir the whole thing up a little bit more. What you're really looking to do now is think about what's really going on under those waypoints. Think of them not just as a remotely interesting feature on the landscape, but as an actual physical place you will walk into with a stand on your back or a saddle on your butt. Or maybe you'll just set up in the preseason if it's a private piece of ground. Is that waypoint 100 yards from the parking area on the main trail a really good idea? Are you the kind of person who has the discipline to hike in two or three miles to a remote island in a swamp to hunt? Or do you just kind of like the idea of finding a big buck bedded in no man's land? Do you really think a stand at the back corner of a public land hayfield is going to be your ticket to a decent buck? Maybe. Maybe on opening night, of course. But what about six weeks into the season after 73 bow hunters have posted up there while thinking the same exact thing? What if you won't be hunting their opening night? Do you really need to devote an ounce of brain activity to a spot like that? Probably not. Delete it. What if you've marked several water holes thinking that you'll be early season hunting and hydration is muy importante to September bucks? Maybe, but how many water holes are there? If you're in the swamps of Louisiana or Florida, where a buck could probably trip with his mouth open and get a drink, does it make sense to focus on water sources? Or should you be looking for higher ground that might be loaded with browse or some other food source? Or maybe just trying to find like a sweet little landing strip of ground between all that water 
that could feature a season-long travel route because it's the only place where a deer can cross from one side of a property to the other without requiring a snorkel? What about if you're going to take a trip in search of a western whitetail? Should you really focus on waypoints that are out in the middle of nowhere where antelope might even feel like it's a little too open? The waypoint revisiting stage is a great time to shed the excess spots that just don't give you the warm and fuzzies. But remember, you don't have to get rid of anything at any point. Cutting just a cut is silly. Spend time with this phase. And if most of your waypoints nag you in a good way, keep them. This is not a point A to B strategy. It's up to the individual. That's why you have the initial cut loose stage so that your full waypoint wish list is entirely visible. And the odds are you just you won't get them all right, especially if you really get after it early on. But the worst thing you can do is delete a waypoint just because you think you have to. There's, there's an art to this stuff. And just like art, it's up to us to decide what we want to create and where we want to take the end product. Eventually, if you're honest with yourself and give the initial calling phase some time, you'll be left with a more just actionable roster of potential stand sites. This is when you filter in your likely hunting dates as far as seasonal timing, and you start to look at how you'd get into and out of these spots. At this point, I like to try to focus on the waypoints that just scream to me, and instead of falling in love with them, I try to figure out what am I missing? What could happen in those spots that would make it so it was just a dud and not a producer? Try to pin down the details of your hunt and apply the most likely factors as far as weather and hunting pressure, and then decide if it's still as promising as it feels. And while I don't have a formal style of ranking waypoints, I do end up through a little bit too much mind grinding, knowing which spots are the most interesting to me. This happens to me when I travel out of state for public land hunt for a few days, or on some of the places I have permission to hunt in Minnesota that I've been on for years. And there's no timeline for this. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. If you're a slow learner like I am, you might devote so much time to e-scouting that your wife actually gets kind of pissed at you. You might, if you forget to take your meds for the day, just start spontaneously e-scouting at events where you should be focused on other things, like maybe your kid's baptism, or yesterday when my wife was trying to explain to me that we need to fix the drain in our bathroom tub. Do everything you can to pare down your e-scouting to the most likeliest of spots, and then have some faith in them. Sometimes this process proves to be almost futile. Other times, it can put you right on top of incredible deer action, even in pressured places, even on public ground. 
The latter happened to me a few years ago in North Dakota after my truck decided it didn't want to run on my first trip out there to, to more familiar stomping grounds. I had a long weekend in the beginning of November to spare because I had just filled a tag and I thought, I'm going to drive up there and see what I can do. So I fast-tracked this e-scouting approach to a massive chunk of federal land in the southeastern corner of the state that I'd never laid eyes on. By the time I was headed north and west to get there, I had only four waypoints left. Knowing that it was prime cruising time, I had marked only spots that I felt offered killer travel corridors and positioning that would allow me to hunt them with either north or west winds. When I showed up, I hiked a mile into my number one spot and within seconds realized that I probably wouldn't need to go anywhere else as long as I didn't have any other hunters creep in on me. The ridge I sat up on over a tight river bottom was basically the only cover connecting two good-sized woodlots. It was one of the most natural funnels I've found in a lifetime of looking. And the only surprise was it and the only surprise was that it took me 3 days there and one slight 100-yard move to arrow a Pope and Young 8-pointer that just wouldn't leave his girlfriend alone. Of course, hunting is kind of like investing. We all love to brag about our winners. No one talks a big game about how they went all in with their life savings in Kodak or Blockbuster. When it comes to e-scouting, I've dropped an embarrassing amount of waypoints on spots that when I walked in to look at them, were absolute duds. In fact, I've hinged entire weeks and 10 or 12 hours of drive time to get to spots where not only were my waypoints worthless, the entire property that I had chosen was a metaphorical kick square to the delicates. This happened to a hunting partner and I one time when we made the trek to southern Oklahoma. Aside from camping right on top of what I can only assume is the largest colony of fire ants in the Sooner State, our pre-hunt research was mostly written in crayons and we colored so far outside the lines that our moms wouldn't post them on the fridge. It was terrible. I saw more hunters on that parcel than I saw deer by orders of magnitude. Sometimes we just get things wrong, but it's still better to start with a plan than to assume you're going to screw up the whole thing and not put in the e-scouting effort. It's also important to know when to throw in the towel. Overconfidence in e-scouting, despite what you actually see in those spots when you're there, is dangerous. Learn to love and let go. And recognize there is value to getting things wrong, even though it sucks. We left that Oklahoma spot and went rogue to a totally new area, found some public land, and managed to arrow three deer in three days. In this phase, if you eliminate the dead spots, you'll theoretically get closer to the good stuff. You'll also start your boots-on-the-ground efforts around areas where you've established a base level of faith, which is real important. Maybe your waypoint on the loner tree in the corner of the meadow isn't spot on, but just beyond the meadow is a real pinch point that funnels deer movement in a way that matters. If you believe in a spot, you'll find those things. Or maybe in the process of checking out your pre-scouted options, you see that you should have paid more attention to the hybrid layers that show not only the satellite imagery, but a topographical line overlay signifying all the elevation changes. Perhaps the spot you thought was flat isn't. And that mistake is one you won't make again. This happened to me the first time I bow hunted South Dakota for whitetails, where my plan was to hike into a water hole and set up. My number one waypoint was loaded with promise. But as I pulled up to the access point, I realized how much I'd underestimated the rolling terrain along the Missouri River. I'd have needed a half a day to hike into what I thought was most promising. It was out of the question. This is like falling in love with someone because they're attractive even though they frequently hit you in the face with golf clubs. It's stupid. Just don't do it. Or maybe the pond you thought was an ideal setup 
is dry as a popcorn fart by the time you're there. And you realize that the imagery you built your research on was taken in May when the spring rains had the whole thing flush with frog habitat. The key to e-scouting is to use it to give yourself the best possible start and to keep learning. Pay attention to what your favorite spots look like on satellite imagery and then in person. Pay attention to the things you get wrong because that's how you really learn to be a better whitetail hunter. And I know making mistakes sucks, but that's the clay with which the best hunters are molded. It's not just the successes that create the consistent killers. It's the way they handled getting everything wrong by putting themselves in challenging environments and then striking out over and over again. In fact, I'd bet that most of the best hunters have become that way through years of stacking up failures at a rate that far exceeded their successes. Tossing a touchdown pass is great, but what sticks with you is the boneheaded interception that cost the game. No one wants that feeling again, including all of us whitetail junkies. And in the hunting industry, we've often idolized people solely on their track record of killing huge bucks without much concern for how those bucks were killed or whether the hunter actually put in any effort to kill them. The truly talented hunters out there aren't the ones who are dead set on filling up their trophy room through the easiest means possible. They are the ones who accept that their chosen path is a challenging one. And while it might dole out some sweet successes, if you walk it long enough, most of the time it's just fraught with mistakes. So don't be afraid to screw up your e-scouting. Don't be afraid to drop a million waypoints until you've blotted out your phone screen and then pare them down to an actionable amount. This will be variable on whether you have the time to individually scout each waypoint before the season or you plan to show up for a four-day hunt and give it your all then. For the home game hunt, you might be able to file through 15 or 20 spots. On any away game hunt, three or four might be plenty. Either way, understand that you're probably mostly wrong in your waypoint placement, but that's okay. You only have to get this part right once in a while to have a hell of a season. And even the parts that you get wrong will shape you into someone who makes fewer slip-ups in the future, which is a good thing. So to wrap this up and tie a nice bow on it, after you've taken a big picture look, at the ground you plan to hunt. Dive into this phase with a waypoints are free mentality. Go nuts and mark anything you want on the ground you plan to hunt. Then ease into this culling phase. Be honest about where you really want to hunt, when you'll hunt, and what the spots really look like access-wise and potential deer movement-wise. Lastly, get serious. When the culling phase gets rolling, what you're doing is committing yourself to time either spent scouting or actually hunting at these specific sites. You want to be careful here because this is the foundation of your hunt and it's a process that just takes time. And of course, all of the e-scouting in the world doesn't save you from actually having to get out there in the woods and look around, which is next week's topic. So get ready because in the next episode, we'll be braving the mosquito-infested woods to ground truth our digital efforts. That's it, my fellow deer junkies. Be sure to tune in next week to keep your whitetail game moving in the right direction. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, thank you so much for your support, and we will see you right here next week. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked 
or eaten outside. From grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.